My guest today is going to hate what I'm about to say. I mean, I just know that because it's it seems overly fawning, but I think it's true. So stay with me on this. I didn't get to meet Mother Teresa in my lifetime, but I wish I had. Um, and there are Mother Teresa's walking amongst us every day, I think. Uh, you know, I, I've read this guy's stream and he, he quotes Fred Rogers in terms of watch for the helpers, right? Like in all things, watch for the helpers. This guest is a helper. And not only is he a helper and has always been a helper, but he's helped helpers. And that's the coolest thing of all. I am so excited to introduce to you Gary Bagley. He is the executive director of New York Cares. Um, it is, I think, the single largest provider of volunteer-led social service in this country. It is the biggest affiliate of Points of Light, uh, the George Bush Senior Program of Volunteerism and Giving Back. And he was at the point of the spear when COVID-19 raised its ugly head in force in the United States in New York City. I am so excited. There are people you meet along your journey and you just go, gosh, I just, my, my daughter called them pocket people. You just want to pick them up and put them in your pocket and carry them with you always. Um, Gary Bagley is my pocket person. Wow. So good to talk to you today. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I, I'm still reeling from the Mother Teresa <laughs> comparison. <laughs> I warned you. I warned you. You might not like it, but uh, you got to live yeah. with it, at least for this this hour. How about that? Well, there you go. But cer certainly something to aspire to. Exactly. Uh, you know, I think I, you know, we'll talk more about leadership, but I always think I see the distance uh, between where I wish I were and where I am is one of the things that keeps me pushing forward. So I don't want to be Mother Teresa because I want to keep aiming for that. Yeah, well, that's good. And, I, you know, <laughs> I want to keep aiming for it, too. I'm just a little farther <laughs> behind. I'm working on, on the catch up. I'm not sure let's about that. About, let's talk about your journey. Um, yeah. You know, New York Cares, we want to get into it in, in big detail and what this last year and a half or so has meant uh, for your organization and for your leadership. But right now, just tell us, how did you get involved in this nonprofit space? Why not Why not be a true American and try to make a buck off of every piece of labor that you do? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I have to admit, I, I found my way to nonprofit uh, and uh, without really knowing the nonprofit world existed per se, it's not the kind of thing you're taught in school as you're growing up. Um, and I just, when I first uh, came to New York City, I'd come right out of school and I had majored actually in the arts then. I had done uh, performing arts, music composition, been around theater. I started teaching, uh, which is what I love to do. Uh, and the journey took me into classrooms all over New York City. Uh, the program I worked for was a great organization called Tada that I'm still connected to. I'd find myself in 20 or 25 different schools all around the five boroughs. And there was a eye opening for me um, that, you know, as we and this is so on, on our minds as a society right now. But it was my first hand view of the inequities in our society. I was raised to believe that every kid gets the same education. Um, and in standing in classrooms all over the city, I saw like, no, not true, right? Every kid is not getting the same education. We don't all have access to what we need. Anyway, that led me to eventually lead the program at Tada, Director of Education. And that was my boot camp on being a nonprofit leader. 
and then I did discover that I, I, I have a great joy in enabling others to do the thing that I loved. I loved writing the grant proposals. I loved training new teaching artists. And eventually uh, that led me because I backed into the nonprofit space and I'm a firm believer in education. So I backed up and did a master's in public administration um, to make sure that I, you know, really kind of expanded my toolkit um, as a as a leader. Uh, and then uh, the job at New York Cares was this amazing moment because I remember still looking at the job spec and going, you can, you can make a living making sure other people volunteer. I had been so committed to volunteerism my whole life. And the fact that there was a standalone organization dedicated to service said, I, I gotta go there. I started running the programming, um, which by the way, we could talk later. I think program is the best boot camp for leadership in the nonprofit sector, um, because what we're marketing every day is what the organization does. So having both created and developed, that was amazing. Um, my predecessor, who I could rave for hours about, um, Ariel Zwang, um, moved on to her next position in life uh, at in very late 2008. I was just getting that leadership bug to say, I love New York Cares, but as I always say, I, you know, I, wanted, I, I really knew I wanted to lead. Um, and so her position happened to open up I didn't expect that. Um, and as a wonderful leader, she had both been a mentor and a guide to me. Our board of directors knew me very well because she didn't cover up her senior team. She showed them off, um, which I always believe is a, an important lesson. So I found my way to New York Cares and I've been in the leadership role now for 12 years. Um, but we can talk more a job that yeah, regenerates I, I just, daily I mean, so much in that intro you know in terms of your background <laughs> i'm just going to encourage you those of you watching us on live stream on linkedin or facebook or youtube uh, to kind of chime in a little bit around how you volunteer how your career has moved and the give back that you have but also i think who's given you that freedom to expose yourself to other leaders so that you aren't hidden behind a leader. Yeah. And, and I've certainly have both kind of leaders in my career, right? Those leaders yeah. who you did the work and you, the credit never came and you were hidden under yeah. a bushel basket. And those leaders who every time you did the work, they were kind of spotlighting your work and giving you a chance to grow and present to boards and the like. So I think there's a lot to that, but I encourage you to share your comments in the comment section as we move on. That's so let me, let me kind of pivot from there. So now 2008-ish, you're in yep. New York Cares. <laughs> look out, look for, look, be careful what you ask for, because there's a lot of responsibility to running an organization like yours. Uh, maybe you can yeah. give us a little of the 2008 to pandemic sort of journey. <laughs> I know a lot of what you were doing and building relationships and really giving back in lots of different ways in the community. But then, then we'll get to the, oh my gosh, there's this virus showing up in New York City at, yeah. at scale. So 2008 is is so interesting. I, I, I often joke that during my second interview for uh, my current position, the Dow dropped 3%. Uh, and so um, thinking about taking on leadership was an ambition enough. Uh, then really thinking about 
um, what does it mean in this particular moment in time, right? What does stability look like? Um, so ironically in the sector, and I think it's one of the biggest challenges for all nonprofits, but certainly was for us in, in, in 2008 is need greatly increases and revenue is, ve is generally very limited. So uh, we went in and I always believe, you, you know, you lead with mission, you, as long as it's humanly possible, you retain team because if there, by the way, if there's any hope for the brand to succeed, um, if there is any fundraising uh, play, if you will, to be made, it's going to be in the work that you do. 08 was amazing because we had a brand new president, uh, Obama, who made a call to service. Um, we had a mayor in New York City. Uh, Michael Bloomberg, who also made a call to service and institutionalized uh, a, a, an area in, in New York City government called NYC service, right, to really show that priority. So we both knew we were in the sweet spot of showing up. Um, we have not seen orientation numbers like that, and that's the number of new volunteers who come to us since until COVID. Right, just our orientations were packed. Our projects were all full. Um, so, really, at that point, you know, I would say, um, like, I guess, like many leaders, I was saying, like, every part of the ship that's stable, keep it stable, uh, take care of the team. Just like COVID nineteen, it was remembering for me every day that listen, the people on the floor are are, are doing this good work and worried about losing their own job right? They're, read, they're reading the newspapers, right? People are bringing more to work than just the work. Uh, and then, of course, COVID-19 um, has been that uh, in, in, a whole, in a whole different way. All right. So we're, we're almost playing inside baseball and we're way too close to what is New York Cares <laughs> for people who have not heard right. of it or who are not actively involved in, right. in what goes on in the, in the city. Uh, tell me a little bit of for, for somebody who isn't oriented to what is New York Cares and what can they liken it to maybe in their own world? Great. Thank, thank you. Uh, important that we get that in. Um, New York Cares is New York City's largest network of volunteers. We were actually founded by a group of people who wanted to volunteer. And when they tried to, the barriers were too great. Um, one was that finding good programming um, was impossible to access. Um, the amount of time it might require was more time than people had with the kind of careers they had. And then on the other side, our schools, our, our homeless shelters, a lot of our nonprofits simply don't have the capacity to deal with the, the influx of, of, of the human capital, if you will, that shows up on its doors. So we were founded to get in the middle. I always say, if it's hard, in terms of volunteering, that's what our staff does every day. Um, our job is to make that easier and to extend that promise to every New Yorker. Um, so what that means now is on an average month, um, if somebody signs up for New York Cares, there are about 1,200 to 1,600 projects every month in many different service areas from education to hunger to visiting seniors and cleaning the parks. Um, and then we make it easy. For the nonprofit, we talk more about management, but basically we provide them an on-site manager who is a volunteer, an unpaid volunteer 
who agrees to lead a team of volunteers in whatever the service is that day. So I always say like hidden within our model um, is what I consider one of the better leadership development programs that, that the city has to offer. We have about 1,300 team leaders who are out in the trenches organizing meals programs during COVID, reading programs you know, at elementary schools, and coordinating with a, a very experienced, very talented staff to do that. Well, so I remember the first time I sought to volunteer. I think I was in... You know, I probably did a lot in my own local community when I was young, but yeah. when I was sent to a formal volunteer program and they said, great, you have to commit for six months. You have to give 10 hours a week. I'm like, yeah. I just want to volunteer. I really don't want a job, you know? Um, <laughs> exactly. And it, it's interesting how that's evolved, right? This kind of yeah. shaping the opportunities around the availability of your time and resource. So you're not if you want to commit exactly. to something long term, you want to be trained and things that's all out there. But yeah. there's this whole world of drop in just in time volunteerism going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I often say to folks like whether you want to make a one time commitment or you want to show up to the school daily for the next year. Um, we we're here to make that an easier process, right? Um, one uh, one example I often uh, bring up is our uh, is our our college access program, right? If you want to find a school in New York City where you're going to show up every Wednesday night, tutor somebody uh, 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 who's preparing for their college access tests of some kind. Um, that's really hard to find. It's hard to find the school. It's hard to find the training. And so, you know, we'll offer, you know, 30 to 40 training sessions so that it fits your schedule. So I always say, you know, even if you want to be here every day of the week, there is a way to make that easier for you. I think, and we'll talk more about right. the current environment in a minute. I think we built a system that was easy for some, but not easy for everybody. And, and therefore, that's when I talk about extending the promise. I want it to be as easy, you know, as I would say, for the parent or caregiver at PS18 in the Bronx. I want that to be as easy as it is for the person who might be working at an investment bank in Manhattan, right? I the goal is to get more people out. You're almost like a broker, you know? I mean, you're trying to <laughs> yes. find the, the person who wants to volunteer. You want to help the all of these organizations that need support Absolutely. and you're helping get them together based on their yep. passions, their needs and their time availability, their, the resources that they have or yep. need. It really is, I think, more complicated than people realize to blend community need with community resource. Well, <laughs> it's interesting you say that because I, I often, you know, so many volunteers come to us and, uh, and there is a, a certain element of, I had all this time to donate and nobody can figure out how to use it, right? And, uh, you know, even with our, our founders who are wonderful and still engaged in the board, I, I think, and this is, you know, I think an important thing for leaders to always do, I said, I, I wanna reframe that, let's flip it around. <laughs> and you're a school teacher uh, somewhere in New York City, nice person shows up, they wanna help, the way they want to help isn't something you feel like you actually need, um, or it might not be the most important thing. But you're you're you don't want to be mean and tell this person you don't want their help. But then what happens is we have a volunteer who does something that feels like it doesn't have an impact. 
a group that doesn't have the capacity to support you and therefore everybody has a bad experience. So one of my old uh, phrases I, I'm sure I beat to death is that volunteers are employees who get paid with something other than money. Wow. Right. Yeah. It's, it is a contract, right? It's, it's, it's an, it's an agreement to serve. Um, but, and then this gets to our, our sector, which tends to under-resource human resources, right? We don't take good care of our people, but then a third of our workforce are volunteers. So unless you really manage that system, like you would manage for, for me, I often say, yes, we have a full-time staff of 70. Actually, I'm going to call that 1,500 because these volunteer team leaders are staff, right? They, they represent us in the neighborhoods we serve. They are the face to other volunteers. Um, we owe everybody development, structure, and management. So I, I uh, when I was younger, I did an internship in clinical psychology, which is my background. And ah. my son later in life did an internship in his area of expertise, which was in sound engineering. And the difference between those two internships was marketable. I mean, I yeah. actually learned things. He was used as a servant, right? And I think right. that you know, volunteerism is a lot like internships, right? We we expect yeah. that if we're going to give our discretionary effort we're going to yeah. get a return on our investment. And that return is normally impact and volunteerism maybe. And in internships, it might be yeah. a, a learning curve. So I, I, I think people miss that so often. I love the way you framed it. Let me, let me uh, bring in some other voices. If you'd like to join our conversation, just add a comment on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, or YouTube. And here comes one from Joe Ione, who says, yeah. Joseph and Gary, nice format. I would ask you, New York cares has collaboration with other states. So if people are not in New York, can they tie into a similar opportunity? So let's go right there, even though I was saving that pace de resistance <laughs> for later, but Joe is always ahead of the show. So there you go. There you go. Uh, we do. Um, New York Cares is part of an international network called Points of Light. Uh, if you go to pointsoflight.org, um, you can first find similar affiliates across the globe. Uh, and you can also find accesses. Not every area will have, you know, there is a Chicago Cares, there is a Boston Cares, uh, but not every uh, metropolitan area or every area will have them. But then they also have a broader uh, network of volunteer opportunities that you can find in your neighborhood. All right. So there's uh, the option for you, Joe, wherever you may find yourself. If, however, you are in New York, uh, this would be <laughs> the option for you. All right. So let's we, we kind of got into the what does New York Cares do in terms of aligning it? We talked about, I think, what leaders need to do to make sure this is a positive experience in nonprofit, but how that's probably not all that different than what leaders need to do to make that happen in the for-profit space as yeah. well. I realized I was talking this whole time, not on camera, and you were so graciously you know, presenting yourself <laughs> with attentiveness. So I, I thank you for that. Right. Um, so we got into that, but let's, I think this is a, you know, we, we really need to call out specifically COVID-19 as a phenomena that increased yeah. human need, that increased the possibility that people would pull inside of themselves and said, it's all about me, I gotta survive, to yeah. hell with the rest of the of civilization, as long as I get my yeah. shot first, as long as somebody else serves me, uh, I am going to play it safe. And uh, yeah. so, 
and so many people were in need. So talk to me a little bit about the juxtaposition of people feeling comfortable giving when they didn't know if they were going to have employment, all of that. I mean, it was just yeah. a crazy time to be a leader in nonprofit. What was it really like? It was crazy. You're right. And I, I would say um, New York City officially shut down on March 16th uh, a year ago, which is when our public school system closed. And within a week, um, you know, there was a lockdown. One of the things that has consistently kept me optimistic about people is at the very moment when many of us might want to shut down, there are people who say, that's my moment. I need to be here even more. So in the first four weeks after the pandemic uh, was officially kind of declared, if you will, on March 16th, we had over 10,000 people step up and say, I want to help in some way. And a big number of them you know, we're willing to go in person. So, you know, right from day one, we said, listen, you can't feed a person remotely. Like it just can't happen. Um, and we'd already seen, I mean, the unemployment numbers that hit like right out of the gate as business reacted. Um, we went from a, a city with about a million people being food insecure up to being, I think it's 1.6 million now. So, you know, so proud of the team, you know, because they just got out there and they started calling soup kitchens and food pantries all in the highest need neighborhoods and saying, can we help? Because, by the way, two things actually rock the sector. And I like to talk about this because philanthropy does get involved in it is first. There were a bunch of folks who were over the age of 50, over the age of 65, and they really needed to stay home. So some of these organizations just lost their volunteer base one day, right? The second, which is really interesting, is corporate volunteers are a huge portion of the group that will work in the hunger space. You know, a team from this bank takes Friday morning and all of a sudden corporations shut down. So we have partners that where we were there one day a week, like filling a hard shift for them, who are using us seven days a week for the last year. Um, so, you know, I think, and this kind of harks back to 2008. So, you know, in this moment, you go, the need is going this way. We're all scared about money, right? We are just terrified. Um, and, you know, my board was meeting weekly to say, like, how can we make sure New York Care steps up? Because this is a moment when we need to be here for the city, not pull back. How can we do that responsibly? How can we keep moving and running more, more programming? And so there was a good gap of about a month, I, I would say, where we were pushing out and trusting the work. And then the resource did follow because as companies figured out uh, we want to help or individuals figured that out, um, we were there already showing up in a way that people could see. Um, so really, really scary month there. Um, I will say so many debates about well-being because, you know, we have a staff that we said we're all going remote, right? And, you know, I, I, I admit I, I struggled a lot with the dynamic of I'm going to sit in my apartment while other people are going out and serving um, and found that through those stretching to, to kind of push through that question, we found our way to an ability to do more 
because we agreed to not take the added burden on of staff of traveling to an office, doing things that would have been even more anxiety provoking than just living through the pandemic. So grateful we made that choice, but it would, that one was a struggle for about a well, month. And, and uh, this tees up uh, a comment that we just got in from Lisa Lemunian. So she was, I think this is in context to your point around a lot of volunteering comes in through the corporate supported uh, volunteerism yep. programs. And then that got pulled back in the pandemic, but there's still companies and organizations that aren't quite in the slipstream of volunteerism. And I think our question yep. is how do you encourage an employer to, to want to give back uh, as part of the employee volunteering programs? It, it, that is a terrific question. And, you know, I often tell uh, individuals to go at this from every angle you can think of. Um, but so for many companies, uh, a, an employee volunteer program is appropriately part of their CSR efforts. There might even be a corporate foundation and you'll find a pretty robust uh, support there. For other companies, it's, it's more of a human resources function. Right. They see the team based volunteerism, the employees going to the soup kitchen or to the park or to a certain school to also be an element of team leading or team building rather. Um, and then I would say finally, and this is decreasing, I think, and appropriately, is that there were companies who also looked at it primarily as brand building. Right. We want to show that we're a part of New York City. Here's a picture of us all in the park. Right. I think that people are aware, especially in the current environment, that a group of employees in T-shirts standing in a park is is not necessarily that that's clearly team building. But I think we all have a sense now of there being really more important work to do. I would also say just advocate. Many companies have employee um, philanthropy groups. And if leadership knows you want to give back, they do respond to employee desire. So just ask, ask, ask. Lisa, I just want to apologize in advance. I'm sure you did not expect an actual answer to your question, one that was <laughs> going to give you tactical strategies to set the limit in your workplace. So forgive my guest for doing that. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, and I'm almost, I'm so not proud that I'm willing to, if you want to, if you just want to fake volunteerism, go ahead and fake it. Because I believe the intrinsic value of doing it uh, exceeds your faking it, right? Like, so if you just want to do it for the photo op, I still believe the people who are authentically there making a difference yep. can start the engine revved up. Um, so anyway, but, but, but I, I much I prefer organizations that come from a heartfelt place that says, yep. I care so much about my team. I can't deny them the opportunity to have impact outside of the workplace. Yep. And I even think that by having impact outside of the workplace, they're more effective inside the workplace. All the research on cortisol levels and in, in giving and how that actually helps their yep. overall health and well-being. All of that stuff is what I prefer to be the driver, but Hey, I don't, you know, I'm I'm not proud. Well, Just get out there. And do <laughs> well, and I and I do think, and I would say we have this journey with many volunteers, many donors where whatever motivation gets you started, to your point, Joseph, just get started. And, you know, I always think it's it's a wonderful experience when somebody calls us and says, hey, you know, our employees and we really enjoyed the event this year. You know, we're looking for something maybe with what we think would have a deeper impact. What else do you have? 
right? Um, and by the way, the parks and gardens need volunteers, right? So, you know, we're here to make sure whatever work you do, it's going to serve the community. But hopefully, and this is to your point, Joseph, it, it, it scratches an itch, right? You start to go, oh, I feel like I made a difference today. And be careful about that, that itch, because I think the more you do it, the more you want impact, right? Like if yep. I realize that my life is short, uh, yep. I realize that my resources <laughs> are limited, as is my time, yes. uh, the, the more I do it, the more I seek a higher high, not in the intrinsic sense of high, but on the extrinsic impact of the high. Um, and, and I, I want to tee it up because we were talking before the, this, this bit where I'm now in this kick with Darren Walker from the Ford Foundation where yeah. I, I'm now no longer seeing, you know, giving philanthropy as the end all be all. I, in fact, I'm a little afraid that that may be a bit self-serving and that now I have to make decisions about injustice, right? Like I'm the guy who'd be glad to go out and volunteer, but if a homeless shelter were to try to move into my neighborhood, I'd probably be going, geez, really? I'm right. Do I really? Have, I mean, I'll go out and volunteer, but really? Uh, so right. I, I think it's a big itch. And it once you start scratching it, it you realize how big the need is. Yeah. And I, I, I would agree 100%. And I would say, as you know, we're dealing with that as a society and then certainly within the sector, right? One of the things that we're really watching and very closely at New York Cares is I have my desire to help, right? And then I often talk about leadership. You know, we have our espoused values and then we have our values in practice, right? So what did I say I stand for? And then what did I actually do today? And of course we wanna bring those two as close together. So around questions of equity, around questions of poverty, I think we, you know, we often uh, at your care say, listen, anybody with a heart cares about homelessness, right? The, the question is, how do you put your caring into action? The last year has taught us, me especially, that with that desire also comes some responsibility, right? We need to understand the issues where we're volunteering, right? I show up, I serve a meal today right? The, most volunteers will then, you know, after a few sessions or a couple of months, whatever the time is for you, say, hey, how come the same people are coming here every week? How come nobody gets out of this soup kitchen line, right? And, and that question should spark, I hope, some education, some willingness to cross that divide. And then I think, you know, as you're saying, like we each then come up against really sort of fundamental, almost existential questions of if I say I believe this, am I willing to start working to correct the imbalance? It's one thing to feel like we're reaching across the divide. It's another to walk across it. Um, and I would say every step you take um, you will, it will be a little harder, but you will be more grateful you did it. And, and the, the cool part for me is I think there was a time when I would read a book like Darren Walker's From Generosity to Justice, right? I would read a book in that space and I would then become immobilized with uh, white privilege, guilt issues. Yep. And, and like, oh, I'm, I'm completely confused now. Like, is right. this giving not worth anything? <laughs> it really, it was, it was so tortured. I can't even tell you. Now I think yeah. I've gotten to a point where I say, okay, I mean, this bar is constantly, this is a journey. 
and the yep. bar is rising. And as I get the opportunity to to hit the level of the bar, I have to reach for the next one. It's uh, it's become easier for exactly me to that walk. What what about you? Because look, and all due respect, if I can see cl clearly here, uh, yep. you're not a person of color running an oh, organization. No. Uh, where right. a lot of the needs state, you know, I, I was just, yeah. I read something like Queens alone is 50% people from outside of the United States, right? Like they're all immigrants in Queens, 50%. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a different population than where, from whence you came. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I would say when I, when I'm at my best, whatever that is, I'm listening, I'm not talking. Um, and when I'm at my worst, I'm coming up with solutions from my own head, um, not really um, interacting with members of the community. Hold Some on, of hold on. We got to say that again. When I'm at my best, <laughs> I'm listening. When yeah. I'm at my worst, I'm coming up with solutions out of my own head and not listening to the community. Okay, now you can go on. I just had to make sure I <laughs> highlighted and exclamation pointed that one. I, I I appreciate that because you know when I talk about espoused leadership versus leadership in practice, there there are a lot of times when I'm in the middle of talking and I think, oh, just shut up, Gary. Like, ask somebody else a good question here. Um, I I think one of the things that I I would also say on the journey is we we need to listen, um, especially if you do not have the lived experience, you must commit to learning. Right. You must, whether it's workshops, whatever the books may be um, that, that speak to the particular work you're doing, that has to be a constant part of the journey. And then, and I think this is about overt leadership. I, I always um, tell the story that I was hiring our chief talent officer, who is just a gift in all regards, uh, Naisha Holiday. You should look her up on LinkedIn. Um, but when I was in my final round of interviews, and I can't remember, somebody gave me very good advice, but, you know, we had done thought exercises, et cetera. And I thought, you know, this is to really lead. I, I need somebody who feels like they can be honest with me. Right. And this dynamic, you know, the racial dynamic that's here makes that hard. Right. Um, and it, it for, for both parties. And so anyway, in the last round, I, I said to all the candidates, um, you know, I asked you two questions as part of the thought exercise. Did I ask you the right ones? Uh, and Naisha was the person who said no. <laughs> and so I said, okay, that, that, no. And I said, okay, that's who I need here. Um, and by the way, we I mean, well, that, that's mind blowing. I mean, it's, one thing where you just a minute ago, you said it's really important to ask questions, not do the talking. And even the questions, sometimes need to be questioned. So go ahead. Yeah, very fundamentally. And, and you know, I, I think in, as an indication that she was the right person um, for New York Cares, she was testing me because she didn't want a boss to, to who she, you know, would be quote unquote, checking the box and say, hey, look, we're looking at diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, she she needed to know that it was a genuine desire on the part of the organization and its leader, no matter where we were starting from. She was less concerned about like how advanced are we than then I can make something happen here. So I you know, have a I think who's whose boss at the end of every meeting says, Is there anything else I can do for you? Which sounds so noble, right? Uh, right. Except when they ask that every time and nothing ever changes, right? Then the question right. is a pro forma sort of, well, now that 
uh, we're coming to an end, I will appear interested in your state of being. <laughs> Um, so, but, but I think that that's the fundamental difference, right? This is somebody who you asked, yeah. she stood up, she tested you. And then the question is, are you going to change the question for relevance as part of your screening process? Yeah. And that, that was remarkably helpful. And, and I would say, you know, I think one place among, around all of this, um, and when you talk about privilege and guilt and leading as a, as a white man in this particular space is I, I I think we're all so aware of of all the issues and there's an urgency to fixing things that we we can't always live up to um, and so I think if I struggle with anything it's that I feel like I can't always move as fast as my team might need me to move uh, on some of the issues we face and a lot of that's about being a nonprofit. We have many stakeholders. We're resource constrained, and you know, I have like anybody. I have that ideal world um, that I want for the organizational culture and for the for the city we love, and then I I have the reality of resourcing it. So to me, that's like the single single biggest kind of struggle within um, this kind of role. All right, so let's let's talk about what got accomplished in uh, COVID nineteen. And Thanks. by the way, we're getting asked for some recommendations on books that people could read that would get them more understanding leadership in the non uh, nonprofit area, how to help organizations commit more uh, to yep. nonprofits. Um, so, if there's any reading that you'd recommend, I will note because that is in the chat um, that Gary was someone I reached out to in the context of Stronger Through Adversity. Your name came to me in a couple of different ways, Gary. Um, there, were, there were several sources, one of which I think may be on your board. Keith Grossman, yeah. who yeah. is also in the book from Time Magazine. He's the uh, yeah. editor or is the president, I think, of Time Magazine. Yeah. He he uh, is a big fan of yours. And so, um, so Stronger Through Adversity, I was really conscious about making sure that the leader models that we use, A, didn't have politicians amongst them, um, because yep. I think there was such a self-serving element to many of those leaders yeah. that it colors the lens of leadership. And then I wanted to make sure that we didn't just have a bunch of for-profit leaders uh, telling us how they created great profitable organizations. That's super important to me, but I also yep. balance it with nonprofits who are trying to create social good, social justice in the midst yep. of the pandemic and racial injustice in our country. Um, so, so I would hope that there's some threads, including uh, Gary's insights in Stronger Through Adversity. But tell us about other books you would recommend to readers uh, who are interested in learning more about having an impact of volunteerism or voluntary leadership. I know you did a chapter uh, in a book. I, I yeah. think Volunteer Engagement in Management is that book title. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and so I think there are a couple good handbooks on general nonprofit practice. One is the Josie Bass Handbook uh, for Nonprofit Management. I use that when I teach. Um, I do think um, those are important. And then I think there are a couple leadership blogs. I'm about to um, uh, plug uh, a, a woman named Joan Gary, G-A-R-R-Y, who has a great blog and leadership network for leading in the nonprofit sector because it is totally different. Um, if you're leading around DEI, I think you know everybody has their own journey on that. Um, I, I, I found uh, for myself that white fragility was a real 
game changer in helping me understand um, just that topic of white fragility. And Imbram Kendi's work is just amazing, How to Be an Anti-Racist, all of his books. Um, and there are many others that I would recommend. Um, and yeah. I was just going to throw, just because I've said it in the context of this meeting, Darren Walker's book, From Generosity yeah. to Justice, just something to consider in your reading as well. Yeah. All right. So uh, so let's, can I pivot in the last few minutes before we well, sure. I guess I should really be going right now to giving your, your sense of, A, what did you accomplish in COVID uh, with your yep. organization? And then B, what can people do to support you at New York Care? So just go with that as our close. We've got, we, we had great luck um, and, and through a lot of hard work, we've delivered 36 million meals, made over 75,000 calls to isolated uh, senior citizens, veterans, families living in transitional housing, um, and supported over 2,500 students through remote learning. So really deeply proud of that. We know we need to show up for the next three to five years for New York City. Those folks most affected by the pandemic, will it will take the longest for them to get back. And as I always say, getting back to normal is not good enough because normal wasn't good. We were already working to improve it. If you care about New York City, you can always volunteer or donate to New York Cares. We'd be internally grateful if you're outside New York City, of course, we would love it if you donate. We would also love it uh, from a mission and a spiritual perspective if you give back in your own community. All right. That's everything. Go to NewYorkCares.org. Whether you care about New York per se or not, you care about humanity. There's very few organizations that deliver on that care for humanity like New York Cares does. Uh, we are we are not a neighborhood. We are a world. And so I'd strongly encourage you to have okay. that one. So let's go to my lightning round. <laughs> I warned you about this, though. I mean, I don't you know did. I'm scared. I'm scared. Yeah, how much I care about you that I actually warned you about the lightning round. So let's uh, <laughs> let's go to it. Here we are. Some just quick reactions to things that pop up. Um, uh, let's go with this one. Uh, so are you a pumpkin pie or a pecan pie? war winner which where do you weigh in because this was your your challenge at least back in 2019 or 18 or something like right that. i'm a pecan pie unquestionable all right, well, so all right that's the end of the show no uh let's keep going <laughs> so you hang with both sides i mean your your celebrity yes. photos really draw a lot of attention on instagram <laughs> this guy was hanging out with you when he was vice president i know that yeah. i mean you're with garth brooks you're, you know, your yeah. instagram is like a who's who feed but uh, <laughs> reaction, just reaction. Uh, first, that was a brilliant day. That was the 10th anniversary of 9-11. So it was a day of service. It was amazing. I never have gotten used, I wanna be clear, I have never gotten used to meeting people like President Biden. I, I would love to say I'm smooth and I don't fumble, but I bet I do. Um, but, but they all remember me, I swear. <laughs> Good, I'm sure they don't meet many people. That's all right. Oh. All right, how about that lady? Because she's she blows up your Instagram account whenever you pop her she on. Does. Suddenly you become that, popular. Tell me about her. That's my mom, um, who I lost just about ten years ago now, and uh, that is me. And I'm guessing that would have been an Easter Sunday uh, as I was growing up. But you know, my mom and dad both um, just had such. Uh, such a community spirit. And when I grew up in it, I wasn't aware of it until I was elsewhere and saw that it wasn't there. So, um, you know, 
my my biggest fan, and certainly I, I, I imagine I'm her biggest fan, although I have siblings fighting for that honor, and my dad. Yeah, yeah. I, got, I got your dad there. Uh, he's a uh, strapping young man. Uh, and yes. I know you were, I, I saw a birthday celebrated up through last year. Is he still with us? Is he well? Yeah. He, okay. Dad turned 87 on February 24th, and, you know, he is... Um, he is still kicking up there in Albany, uh, outside Albany, New York, where I was raised. And, you know, I actually uh, quarantined a little extra, if you will, during uh, COVID because I wanted to be able to prioritize chances to still visit with him. Um, so I, I bet I locked down a little extra hard because he, he's a great guy. Uh, and you could see, I mean, like a Navy, Navy vet from the Korean War um, and just really... Um, you know, always the highest of standards um, and then the strongest support. So just just a great guy. All right. Just some quick ones here to end. Seems like you really like spending time uh, on a bike or at least you like the impression of having a bike helmet on. <laughs> I do. I, I really ride a bike under that helmet. You know, it is uh, it is my therapy. You know, I get out on the bike. I feel good. I'm riding along the coast of New York City. I'm riding in upstate New York. And that's one of those as long as I can do it. Uh, when I when the world reopens, I've always wanted to bike around Vietnam. So um, as like I said, as long as as long as the legs will keep moving, I, that's that's my joy. I think the longer you keep moving them, the more they keep moving. So here are quick last ones really quick. Bernadette and yep. Fritz. Bernadette and Fritz. Two wonderful dogs, one 16, one five, both closed in the bedroom so I could do this. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're really angry at me right now. Bernadette they and are. are not fans of me. They're, they're right, last but not least, David Lees. Yes, David Lees is my husband. Uh, we got married two years ago. We've been together 11 years and uh, a, a, just a, a great guy that met through friends. Um, and uh, yeah, brings, brings a huge amount of joy. I thought that was like, so, that's so 70s-ish of you. I all right, know. That's we, everything we have time for today. Uh, Let me make sure above all else that I pop up the uh, way that you can make a contribution to newyorkcares.org. This is a truly one of the most blessed leaders we have out there in the social space. Please support their efforts. You're not supporting him individually. You're supporting all <laughs> kinds of volunteers who are making a difference in the world. You're giving them the way to have the maximum impact. You're giving nonprofits a way to get their, their programs supported, vetted, you know, educated, all that stuff. It's just really a remarkable program. So thank you again for being a part of it. Uh, feel free to drop off while I do my one minute close, Gary, if you'd like. Otherwise, let me just Thank tell you all that next week, Samantha Burns from South Africa had such a good experience when I was down in South Africa. Talk about poverty. Uh, just it's just amazing things uh, that I saw while I was in South Africa. Wealth, poverty and people who were doing some amazing things in customer experience. So Samantha Burns from Brilliant CX. She's going to join us from. I think she's in Cape Town these days, so uh, we'll, we'll join her next week. Uh, whoops, I got both of those at 4.15. I've got all these dates wrong. I don't know what's going on with me. Next week is 4.15. Four, no, next week is 4.8. So she's on at 4.8, 4.15. Uh, I don't know what day it is. Never mind. Next week is Samantha. The week after that is Micah Solomon. <laughs> and then we have Chris Racino's on the week after that. 
so just put the dates in, in your own head because obviously I'm of no value. Um, Micah Solomon wrote the book, Ignore Your Customers, Ignore the Dates, uh, Ignore Your Customers, and then Chris Racinos is in uh, the, the book, uh, Driven to Delight. She's one of my favorite healthcare leaders. She is a nurse. She worked in a uh, serious, serious uh, situation in terms of, of uh, healthcare agencies in Los Angeles, frontline nurse and COVID units. She's going to talk about resilience in nursing and beyond. Uh, so that's the show this week. I'm so grateful for you who tune in. And for those of you who comment, you really make this a lot easier just having some comments to join along in the show. So I, I'm, I'm in your debt. Uh, without further ado, uh, think about NewYorkCares.org or Points of Light uh, as you do your volunteerism. We'll see you next week.